All right, let's turn our Bibles to Leviticus 18 and 19. I got a disclaimer for the study tonight is uh, this is not necessarily little kid oriented. Um, if you've read ahead, uh, we're going to talk a lot about uh, God's design for sexuality. So parents, uh, this may be the time to grab your little ones and go grab a milkshake at Chick-fil-A tonight uh, or at home, put your earbuds in or I'll leave it up to you as parents, but you have the disclaimer. So now I've got all your attention. So, all right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your design of, of sexuality and how your ways bring life and your ways bring freedom. And so, Holy Spirit, we, we welcome you into our time where we ask for your grace and favor upon us as a fellowship, as a church. We, we pray for those that are sick that you bring about a quick healing. And Lord, as we go into this very different Christmas, we do pray that you would use it and we would reach out as we're in the store and with family and friends and in the workplace. Pray for our community that many people would come to know you. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest of the commandments? And there's a lot to choose from. 613 commandments in the law. And Jesus summed up the commandments by saying, love the Lord God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Deuteronomy chapter six. And then the other, he quotes from Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. This encompasses all of God's commands. If you love God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you've fulfilled the commands of God. All of the commands that we're going to focus on tonight fall within the great commandment that Jesus declared. It really summarizes everything that we're going to study. Please remember as we study the law is that Jesus fulfilled the law. He lived perfectly under everything that we're going to read to provide the sacrifice for our sins. And the law drives us to Christ. As we read through this, we understand that we need a savior. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes and says that the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It drives us to Christ. We see our need for him. Also, we see our need for Jesus in our lives, Christ in us, to be able to love. We're not trying to love in order to earn or deserve salvation. I hope you don't hear that tonight. Well, I've got to live in a certain way in order to be saved. But God calls us to live this way because we are saved, because he has given us salvation by grace. So let's jump into verse 1 of chapter 18. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. God's message coming to Moses and then going to the children of Israel, I'm the Lord your God. This is based on who God is in our relationship to him, that he's our Lord. And because he's our Lord, we want to love him and we want to love others. In verse three, according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. So God calls out two things. He says, what you've seen in Egypt for generations, 400 years of bondage, what you're gonna see of the Canaanites who live in the promised land, I don't want you to walk in their ways. I want you to walk in my ways. I want you to walk in my statutes. And God calls us to not be conformed to the world, 
the world system, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. As believers, we should be living a counterculture life, especially now. We should be taking our marching orders from the word of God, not what culture is doing. In fact, a lot of what we're gonna read tonight about the way that God defines loving our neighbor is different than the world would say. The world has their own definition of loving their neighbor, and it's not God's definition. We have to be willing to reject the world system and say, I'm not gonna be conformed with the world. I'm not gonna go along with what the world says. I'm gonna go along with what God says. Young people, so important that you lay hold of God's message and say, I'm living for him. I'm not living for what the world would say, what my friends would say, what social media would say. So there's this rejection of the ways of Egypt, the rejection of the ways of Canaan. In verse four, you shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I'm the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my commandments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So that calling to walk in his ways, that calling to walk in his judgments and ordinances gets right into God's message of sexual integrity, of how we're to love one another. None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your son's or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover, for theirs is, is your own nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter begotten by your father, she is your sister, you shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, she is near of kin to your father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's mother, for she is near of kin to your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. A little bit more, verse 16. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness. Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. Sexual sin is nothing new. Here we are thousands of years ago, the children of Israel are traveling in the wilderness, and obviously sexual sin is an issue. Throughout all of the Bible, God addresses his heart for sexual integrity. It's amazing how many of Paul's teachings have to do with the issue of sex. The, the Bible opens up with God created Adam and Eve 
in his image and God joining them together in marriage. As we look at this, we see that nakedness is sacred from the Lord's perspective. It's specific that the Lord's saying, don't uncover nakedness because nakedness is something that is to be enjoyed between a husband and wife. That, that's the appropriate place for sexuality to be expressed. But again, you talk with unbelievers who don't know the Lord, and unfortunately, even some believers, and they'd say, well, what's the big deal with pornography? Pornography, in essence, is uncovering someone's nakedness. And we know that, unfortunately, pornography's been widely accepted and has widely become accepted in people's lives as believers, and this lie that's being said of I'm not hurting anyone, well, yeah, you are. That's someone's nakedness. And you're exposing that nakedness. And the Lord says, this is, this is sacred. This is something that I don't want you to mess with. Pornography has no place in the heart of a believer, in the life of a believer. It doesn't lead to a closer walk with the Lord. It doesn't lead towards loving people with a greater passion. It only leads to more and more destruction. And God has the power to root that out of our lives. And if you're in a place where you find yourself giving way to pornography, I would hope that the scripture would speak to you. Notice that as we read through, God points out this person's relationship. This is someone's wife. This is someone's daughter. This is your family member. What are you doing uncovering their nakedness? When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, this is the way that I want you to see women. This is how I want you to treat them and to think about them. Older women in the church as your mom. Younger women in the church as your sister with all sexual integrity. You view your mom, you go, man, I view my mom with sexual integrity. Your sister, you, you view your sister with sexual integrity. You know, to this day, if someone messed with my little sister, it might be time for me to take them on a missions trip to Mexico. And they're not coming back. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you don't mess with my little sister. And that's, men, that's the heart that we're to have towards women in the fellowship is one of protection, the way we would protect our mom and the way we protect our sister. And, and pornography is not protecting someone. That's someone's daughter, Right? And so it's interesting that the scripture points out nakedness and the sacredness of nakedness. But also we need to remember God's design. This is all of the stuff that you should not do. But what is God's design? God created sex. He designed it. And he designed it to be enjoyed inside of marriage for both procreation and recreation, for mutual fulfillment inside of the commitment of marriage. And all of these things that we just read through here are outside of God's plan and outside of God's design. Don't you think it's time that we adopted God's message on sexuality? As a culture, we've really messed this up. We've really gone far from God's design. And each of us have the opportunity, single, married, young, old, to say, I'm gonna walk in God's ways. I'm gonna be set apart for what God has in store for me. When we read the scriptures in the Old Testament, Joseph and Daniel really stand out 
in their integrity, in the way that they love the Lord. And both men chose to walk in sexual integrity and God used them mightily. And both men were in very secular societies where there was lots of sexual sin and they chose to walk in integrity. That's a great example for us. What's at stake with sexual sin? There's so much at stake. We want God to use our lives. Let's set aside our lives in sexual purity. Where have you been in the past is not the issue. It's where you're at right now. It's where you're going in the future. You can choose to walk in sexual integrity. We have to remember with sin and sexual sin included, we are joining Christ to the sin. Paul asked the church of Corinth and says, are you gonna join Christ to a harlot? Jesus doesn't leave us or forsake us when we engage in sexual sin. Also, with sexual sin, Paul said that you're sinning against your own body. You're destroying your own soul. You're destroying your own physical body. So sexual integrity is the will of God. When we think of, well, what's God's will for my life? Should I work at Starbucks or should I work at Dutch Brothers? You know, should I be a teacher or should I be an accountant? Is it God's will for me to live in this house or that house? God's will is sexual integrity. That's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. It's the will of God for your sanctification, for us to be set apart from the Lord. God's much more concerned with who we are than which coffee shop we work at. Are you gonna be sexually pure at Dutch Brothers or Starbucks or as a teacher or an accountant? He's concerned with, with our character. We go on into verse 19. Also you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Molech, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. It's amazing to me how old scripture is, how ancient the book of Leviticus is, but it's hitting on these same issues that we're facing today, is the practice would be to take your children, one of your children, and to offer your child to Molech, to kill your child, child sacrifice, because it was believed if you did so, that you would bring financial prosperity to your family. So this is what people would do. Can you imagine killing their children at the altar of prosperity? But here we are, all of these thousands of years later, in our great sophistication, and we kill children at the altar of prosperity, don't we? This child is inconvenient. I, I'm not able to bring this child into the, this world and Raised, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I, I don't have the resources. I wasn't planning for this pregnancy to take place. And please hear me on this. If you have had an abortion or participated in abortion, man, God's a God of forgiveness and God's a God of, of restoration. Please do not hear condemnation, but do hear a heart for the unborn. That child doesn't have a voice. That child cannot communicate for himself. And so we have to be that voice to stand up for, for what's right. And there's options. There's, there's options to 
believe that the Lord will provide, even though there isn't the money, that there isn't the time. You know, I was hearing a testimony a few weeks ago of a mom who had a teen pregnancy at 16 and decided to go ahead and have her child, have her son. Now, years later, her son is well into his adult years, his 40s and 50s, and mom's still living. And he regularly thanks his mom for bringing him into the world and all the sacrifices that she made for him. God is good and he's faithful and he will provide. Also, there's the option of adoption. I know several families in the church that would would love to adopt. And if you're at a place where you're saying, I've got an unwanted pregnancy, I, I don't feel like I'm up for the task of being a mom, being a dad, call me, call the church office. We'll help you put you in touch with a family here at the church that would love to be able to adopt. Here locally, Life Network is, is a great ministry that we partner with, and they provide free ultrasounds for women. Planned Parenthood, I don't know if you know this, but they don't offer anything for free. Abortions cost women money. Ultrasounds cost women money. Ladies, if you get an ultrasound at Planned Parenthood, you don't get to see your baby. They do the ultrasound, but they don't show it to you because if they show you the ultrasound, you're gonna wanna keep your baby. But at Life Network, you're gonna get a free ultrasound and you're gonna get to see your baby. And also Life Network has resources to walk with you, to help with you during your pregnancy and the first two years of you being a parent. They have life steps to come alongside of you. If you have gone through an abortion or participated in supporting an abortion, they have a wonderful ministry to help you to be able to heal and experience God's restoration, completely confidential. But the issues haven't changed. They're killing children all the way back here and God has to say it. Don't offer your children to the altar of of Molech. Sometimes, I hate to admit it, we may not abort our children but we still put our kids on the altar of prosperity and we say, you know what, work's more important than time with my kids. How easy is it to choose more money instead of time with our kids? So our kids are alone by themselves and we're working more and we're working more and we're working more and they go, man, dad was never around. Mom was was never around. So, So God's heart is for us to love and serve our kids, not put them on the altar of Molech. In verse 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. Homosexuality is not something new. God has to lay that out here as well. This is not God's design for sexuality. Blessing comes when we walk in God's design for sexuality. This is not the only place that God speaks out against homosexuality. There's several places throughout scripture where God does so, one of those places is Romans chapter one. We've gotta know this. You can find a lot of churches in America that are gonna teach that God condones homosexuality. They're gonna teach that God blesses homosexuality. Well, if it's love, then who are we to say that it's wrong? Well, that argument doesn't hold out, right? We don't get to define what what love is, We've got to accept what God's terms are for truth. And this is what God has has laid out. 
And if this is something that you're, you're struggling with, I would encourage you to, to read through the scriptures to examine God's design of male and female. Why is gender so attacked? Because male and female is created in God's image. So Satan would love to destroy the whole concept of male and female. But God's created us male and female, and inside of marriage, this is where he's desired for sex to be expressed. Verse 23, nor shall you mate with an animal to defile yourself with it, nor shall any one woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these things the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes, my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. Thus the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. One of the biggest disagreements with the scripture is that God ordered the Israelites to destroy the Canaanites when they came into the promised land. But what people do not take the time to investigate is the Canaanites were extremely wicked. And God had given them 400 years to repent. That's a lot longer than we probably would have. And then God finally brings judgment upon the Canaanites. And here, God warns the Israelites and says, don't go into this wickedness because this is why I destroyed the Canaanites. And what I find so interesting is the land gets defiled from sin. The land gets defiled from sexual sin and from murder to where the land finally gets fed up and says, I'm gonna vomit you out. And it's a way of God bringing his his judgment. When Cain killed Abel, God said that his blood cried out from the ground to God. So God sees the injustice of murder. God sees the injustice of abortion. God sees the perversion of, of sexual sin. And throughout history, God has judged many nations for their sin before him. Some of the things that we do in our culture go even beyond what we read in Leviticus 18 and 19. So it begs the question, when are we gonna receive the judgment of God? Our land has been defiled. When is the land gonna vomit us out? That's why we as God's people are called to cry out to God in repentance, asking that God would forgive us of our sin and heal our land because of the sin that has entered into the land. God writes and says, let judgment start in the house of God where we grieve of sin in our own lives and we grieve about sin in the life of believers, that we grieve before God that the church has begun to condone things that God condemns. Lord, please heal our land. 
Many, many years ago, Billy Graham said, if God does not bring judgment upon the United States of America, he's gonna have to raise up Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize. Unfortunately, we lead the way in wickedness. We propagate it, we pay for it, we pressure others to live in this lifestyle of sin. It could be that judgment's already started. It's very possible that judgment has already started in the United States. What if God's judgment upon our nation looks like this, where God simply takes his hand off? His hand of protection, his hand of blessing, his hand of wisdom. Where's the common sense in our land today, right? So instead of this causing us to be fearful, first we look at our own lives and say, God, I wanna live for you. Lord, help me, because we struggle with, with these things. And then to take prayer seriously and repentance seriously and humble ourselves before the Lord. Nehemiah and Daniel, as they prayed before the Lord, they owned the sin of their culture, they owned the sin of their land and asked that the Lord would restore and bring about forgiveness. It's a great time for a spiritual revival. We desperately need it. We desperately need for God to get a hold of our hearts and our lives. It's been really encouraging to me throughout this year, where there's been a lot of discouragement, as we've seen a lot of people come to the church in a very broken place, and sometimes a really dark place, which I'm thankful that they're coming to, coming to church and getting saved and getting right with the Lord. And it's not these big numbers of masses of people, but it's one or two every week. And when you talk with them, their testimony is loud. Their testimony is strong. It's testimonies of, man, I've been out in the world and I haven't been to church for a long time. I can't even remember. And my life is empty and God's calling me back to, to him. So God is working in the midst of this dark time, calling people back to himself, calling believers back to, to him, calling unbelievers un, unto him. But it's important for us to see the reality of sin and how it defiles the land. In verse 29, for whoever commits any of these abominations, the person who commits them shall be cut off from among their people. So God is serious about sin. Therefore you shall keep my ordinances so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. God says, walk in my ways, walk in my word. Psalms 119 says, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. You may find yourself in sexual sin. You may find yourself in pornography and you say, how do I get cleansed? Take heed to the word of God. Take it seriously. Memorize it. Hold on to it. When there's warnings, we take heed to them. It's wise if we take heed to the warning of a yellow light. It's wise if we heed a red light. There's freedom in paying attention to a green light, right? 
So for us to get to a place where we're humbled before God's word and we say, this is God's word. I'm gonna take heed to it. I don't get to write it. I don't get to define it. I'm gonna pay attention to it. I'm gonna follow it. I'm gonna spend time in it. I'm gonna memorize it. There's power in the word of God. Jesus, when he was tempted, he quoted the scripture out loud. When that temptation comes for sexual sin, man, have the scripture ready. Have the scripture in your heart. Memorize it. Christ lives inside of us. And he is the hope of glory. So rely upon Jesus. God promises a way of escape with temptation. And that way of escape is the first exit. It's the first opportunity off of the highway of sin. Man, and take that exit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us to help us, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. To me, this ties together perfectly with our message on Sunday out of 2 Corinthians 7 to cleanse ourselves of filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. So if there is sexual sin in your heart or your life, tonight's the night to deal with it. Tonight's the night to be broken before the Lord. Say, there's no room for pornography. There's, there's no room for some relationship outside of God's design. I'm gonna choose to follow God's ways. Let's jump into chapter 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. The standard of holiness is God's holiness. The motivation for being holy is because God is holy. We wanna grow in the likeness of God. We wanna be close in relationship with him. Every one of you shall revere his father and his mother. Honor your father and your mother. By doing so, you're honoring the Lord. There's something broken in our culture. There's something broken in our character when we don't honor our parents. And sometimes our parents are not honorable. And if you find that yourself in that position, is honor the position that God has given to them even when it's difficult to honor the person. This is a great time to express honor to our parents and, and thank them for the sacrifices that they have made. And keep my Sabbaths, I am the Lord your God. Rest is a way of depending upon the Lord. We don't follow the Sabbath, which is Saturday in a legalistic way, but the idea of rest is important. Taking one day a week to rest. Taking times throughout the year where you stop and rest. God gave us a forced sabbatical this year. <laughs> he slowed us down. He pumped the brakes on our, on our lives. It's important to rest. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God, a warning against idolatry. And if you offer sacrifices of peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. Peace offering reflects fellowship with God. God wants it to be from the heart. He wants you to pursue him from your heart. No one's forcing you to do it, but to choose to want to have your own relationship with the Lord. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, the peace offering, and on the next day, and if it remains until the third day, 
it shall be burned in the fire. And if it's eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he's profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord and the person shall be cut off from his people. God wanted the peace offering to be sacred, to be set apart. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So God's saying you get this great harvest that you've worked hard for, but God is blessed. I want you to leave a little piece of it. Leave, leave the corners of it. So the stranger, the foreigner, the refugee, the poor can come and have provision. And I love God's plan here because it honors the dignity of the poor and the stranger where they have to come and work for it. If they don't come work for it, they don't receive the food. So they have the opportunity to work to be able to provide for the needs of their family. Excuse me. And this is a great way of giving. (coughs) How that's implemented in today's culture is a little bit more difficult. Giving people the opportunity to, to work. But the principle is here. Not all of the profits are to be consumed by us. How, how easy would it be to say, well, here's my harvest. I'm going to take it all to myself. But to leave room for giving, to leave room for the poor, to leave room for the stranger. And we've all had difficult times in our lives where we've received from others. And it's very humbling to receive in those times of need. Verse 11, you shall not steal nor deal falsely nor lie to one another. This does not communicate love. This isn't loving our neighbor when we steal, when we deal falsely, when we lie. Always best to deal in in truth with one another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord, using God's name in vain. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. Pay those that you hire right away. They've earned it and give them their pay. You shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I'm the Lord. Who does this? I mean, seriously. It's like, oh man, here's someone's deaf. They can't hear me, so I'm gonna curse them. Here's a blind person. I'm gonna put a stumbling block right in front of them so that they trip. God says, no, fear me, I'm the Lord. You don't, you don't treat people like this. Unfortunately, this reflects the evil heart of humanity if somebody is weak, that we take advantage of it. If someone's hurt, that we're gonna bully them. How much would the principle that's found here in verse 14 solve all bullying, right? Yeah, we don't treat people like that. You shall not do injustice in judgment, nor shall you be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. There's equity in judgment, not favoritism in judgment. 
You shall not go about a talebearer among you, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. This is speaking against gossip. How many relationships have been destroyed through gossip? You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. Don't go around with a heart of hatred. It hurts God, destroys others, it destroys you. Allow the Lord to take out of us that root of bitterness. Responsibility to speak truth to our neighbor, to rebuke them in love when it's necessary. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Leave vengeance in God's hands. Don't hold grudges against your children. It's easy to do where the enemy can get into our hearts and lives where we may start to have a grudge towards our children. And here's the command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am the Lord. We've got to love God first enabled us to love our neighbor. And we're instructed that we love our neighbor as herself. So the kind of care and respect and kindness that you like to be treated with, treat your neighbor with that. How do you like people to talk to you? So talk to them in that way. How do you like your family to treat you? So treat your family in that way. How do you like the body of Christ to treat you? So treat them in that way. How do you want the community to treat you? So treat them in in that way. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you enjoy eating food? Yes, absolutely. Are there those around us who don't have food? Let's give and have the opportunity to share food with them. Love is what is so needed and is so lacking right now. When we choose to love God and love our neighbor the way that scripture teaches, it really stands out. And this is how we become salt and light. This is how people become thirsty for Jesus. How are people gonna become thirsty for Jesus if we love them? We love our neighbor as we we love ourselves. Who's your neighbor? It's whoever you're around at the moment, right? Whoever you're around at the moment is, is your neighbor. Verse 19, you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. This is intriguing. Like, why does God give this command to the children of Israel? Don't don't mix your seed. Don't mix your livestock. Don't mix your garment. I think all of these speak of the purity of heart that they're to have towards God as they're following these commands, that it was a a practical reminder that I need to be wholly devoted to the Lord. Possibly, I don't know, through mixing the seed, maybe it would destroy the quality of the food. Maybe through mixing the breed of cattle, it would minimize the strength of that livestock. I'm not sure. I'm wondering sometimes of all of the health problems that we have has something to do with the way that we've genetically modified food. Now, I'm not here to try to get on the soapbox, but I just wonder, how has this all took place when greed has entered into food? It's like, well, we know that this isn't healthy for people, but we can make more money through the food, so we're gonna alter the food. And God in his wisdom may have set this aside from 
this point and saying, look, don't mix your seed. I don't know. Those are just thoughts for free. (laughs) Verse 20, whoever lies carnally with a woman who is betrothed to a man as a concubine and who has not at all been redeemed nor given her freedom, for this there shall be scourging, but they shall not be put to death because she was not free. Now, this is one of the more difficult verses in the Bible because it seems to be that there's one standard if a woman is free and another if she's a concubine, if, if she is a, a slave. I'll admit this is a challenging verse. Please understand that this is a much higher standard than the Egyptians or the Canaanites would have had with a concubine. And if someone slept or had sex with a a concubine, then they were to be beaten for it. They were to be judged uh, for it. In a lot of other cultures, that that wouldn't be the case. But if the woman was free and that took place, then they would be put uh, to death instead of scourged. Verse 21, and he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. A ram is a trespass offering. The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin, which he has committed. And the sin which he's committed shall be forgiven him, a much needed sacrifice for sin. Another interesting command in verse 23, when you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be uncircumcised to you, it shall not be eaten. But in the fourth year, all of its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. In the fifth year, you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. So they get into the promised land, they plant trees. Any fruit that comes from the first three years, they can't eat. It's to be treated as uncircumcised or or unholy. So just have to discard it. The fourth year, all that fruit goes to God. The fifth year, they could enjoy the fruit. There's an application, I think, that speaks to us tonight. It's this. Fruit takes time. Fruit takes time. You may be making decisions to follow the Lord and plant good seed in your life. It may be five years till you're enjoying the fruit. Like, what if you decided to walk in holiness and you didn't see any fruit for five years, would you keep it up? You didn't see any necessary benefit back to yourself for five years. Would you do it because God's called you to do it? Would you do it in faith even though you didn't see the fruit? A lot of times we want instant fruit, don't we? Everything's quick in our society. I mean, if a YouTube video is three minutes, it's way too long. I'm not going to sit here for three minutes and watch this, this YouTube video. Man, if, I, if I've got to be in the line at the drive-thru for 15 minutes, this is, this is forever. Something in the microwave for three minutes? Oh, my goodness, it takes so long. Three minutes in the microwave. I can't even believe this, right? And so when God says character takes time, Fruit takes five years before you can start to enjoy it. It tests our patience and tests our faith and our endurance that the fruit will come in time. You shall not eat anything with blood 
Life is in the blood. It shows the respect for life. Nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying, dabbling in demonic activity and witchcraft. You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am the Lord. So this brings up a very popular question, doesn't it? Is it okay for believers to get tattoos or to not get tattoos? I've never had someone ask me, is it okay for men to shave their beards? Right? It does tell us that, that you're not to shave your beard, the sides of your head. So I'm out of compliance. I got I admit I got a fresh haircut and my my sideburns are not long and curly like they should be, right? So obviously we're under the new covenant of God's grace. These principles of loving our neighbor as ourselves are absolutely true. They're timeless, they're for us to to walk in. I think there's grace in the Lord, men, for you to shave your beard, shave the sides of your head. If you want to get a tattoo, the question is, does that tattoo glorify God or not? Not is it right or wrong to, to get a tattoo. God's con- concerned with the heart. He's concerned with the content of the, the tattoo, but I think there's freedom in Christ if someone desires to, to do that. Verse 29, do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. Unfortunately, this is a practice that still happens today. Many times because families are on hard times financially and they prostitute their children for money and God speaks out against this, says do not prostitute your your children. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I'm the Lord. Give no regard to medians or, or witches or familiar spirits. Do not seek after them. To be defiled by them, I am the Lord your God. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God, I am the Lord. So out of reverence to God, we show respect to our elders. Unfortunately, as a culture gets away from God, we don't honor our elders. We don't honor those that are of gray hair. We, we, we don't honor the sacrifice that they've made. We don't take time to learn the lessons that they have walked through. But as we're close to the Lord and walk in fear of the Lord, we honor those who've walked before us. We rise before them in, in honor and respect. And if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I don't want to make this a political issue. I'm not trying to make a political statement here. I I do think that as people come into the United States, they should come in legally. Now, having said that, we have a tremendous opportunity for the gospel to love foreigners that come into the United States of America. And God speaks to the Israelites saying, remember what it was like when you were a stranger in Egypt. You were a foreigner. You were mistreated. 
So when foreigners, refugees come into Israel, I want you to love them and I want you to serve them. You know our hearts here at Rocky Mountain Calvary is to be missional for the nations. God wants to see the nations come to know him. All the nations represented around the throne room of God. There's many missionaries that we support around the world, but also missionaries that we support here in the United States. And something that's been happening more so the last 20 years is the nations are coming here. The nations are coming to the United States and it's an opportunity to spread the gospel. The Kirby's, John and Elise Kirby are missionaries that we support. You can grab their card in the, in the foyer. But the Lord has allowed them to do tremendous work in Hamtramck, Detroit. Hamtramck is two square miles in the inner city of Detroit. From the Middle East, many refugees have come into Hamtramck. You know how difficult it is to see Muslims come to faith anywhere in the world. And they're seeing Muslims come to know Christ, get baptized, get discipled, and some even going back to their home countries, risking their lives for the sake of the gospel. Hamtramck is a strategic location to reach the nations. There's opportunities right here in Colorado Springs with refugees. Imagine coming into Colorado Springs, you don't speak the language, you, you don't know the culture, it's probably been a really difficult circumstance that, that's brought you here. You feel like a complete outsider and we have the opportunity to get involved in their lives and love them and share the gospel. A couple summers ago, we were doing an outreach in an apartment complex close to here and a lady from our church, she speaks Farsi. And she felt led that day, I, I gotta be at this outreach. She gets to the outreach and the coordinator of the barbecue from our church says, there's a woman upstairs who's a refugee. Her native language is Farsi, and she's really lonely. And the lady from our church goes, I speak Farsi. I felt led to be here today. Was able to go up to her apartment, have a great conversation, and they continued to, to stay in touch. I mean, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. So hopefully, I just want you to see the opportunities when foreigners come to the United States to not just view that through a political lens, but to view it through a biblical lens and say, do I have a heart for them to know the gospel? Could it be that God's bringing the nations here to come to know Christ as, as their savior? Verse 35, you shall not do injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, width, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, and honest ephah, an honest hen, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Treat people fairly in business. Don't, don't cheat people. This is a testimony of who Christ is. This is a way of loving your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. Man, how good is God's word? How good is that we can read Leviticus and get our worlds rocked? <laughs> and go, this is so applicable for me right now. I gotta tell you, teaching Leviticus verse by verse is stretching me as a pastor. I've never taught through the book of, of Levit Leviticus. <laughs> it's obviously challenging me. 
But I have been surprised and blessed at how applicable it is, how much it applies. God's word is, is so good. Let's love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. The law causes us to appreciate Jesus. As we take communion tonight, that he is our perfect sacrifice. We could not live up to this. We do not live up to this. This shows us that we need Jesus to die for our sins, to forgive us from sin, but also to break the power of sin. Lay sin at the cross tonight. Confess sin before him. Receive his forgiveness. Turn from sexual sin. Turn from ways that we aren't loving our neighbor and allow God to turn our lives right side up and to cause us to be on fire for Jesus, in love with him. Viewing our lives through this great commandment, but also the great commission to go and tell and to make disciples, to proclaim the gospel to all nations and teaching people to walk in God's word and walk in God's ways. God is using you and he desires to use you. Hopefully these times are stirring us to live for the Lord, amen? Say, man, time is valuable. I wanna be living for the Lord. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the conviction of it. We thank you for the challenge of it. We thank you for your ways, the way that you have designed sexuality. Father, I pray that you would bless every marriage, that you would pour out your life into each marriage. I pray that you would strengthen our singles, Give them faith to walk in sexual integrity. Lord, would you be gracious to our young people? Would you stir them to be committed to walk in your ways? God, we do ask that you would forgive us because our land is defiled with sin. It's beautiful, but it's defiled with sin. Colorado Springs, this beautiful place to live, but yet it's defiled with sin. So Lord, would you forgive us? And we, we turn from sin, we repent. And we ask that you'd heal our land. May there be an explosion of the knowledge of you, Jesus. May the gospel be proclaimed. We know that that's what we desperately need.